Hey everybody, welcome to another Real Debaters production. I am Michael Petro, and joining me on the show in the virtual living room is uh, entertainment reporter Randall King from the Winnipeg Free Press and newspaper. Uh, this guy has been making up my mind, well, helping me make up my mind since the 90s. He's been doing this since 1990, uh, doing entertainment reporting. And uh, we go over his story and how he kind of got into the whole biz and uh, coming from a family of entertainers. One, One's a playwright, one is also a musician. So, I mean, being surrounded by that, you're kind of destined for for something in the biz uh and then how he got into working in winnipeg and then you know covid changes with how he does his job um who he's talked to who he's met who he's reviewed how he reviews his process uh, he's he's been in the room with the likes of scorsese and and martin shorts and julia julie andrews and julia roberts and he's met three of the four barns like that's a that's a motherfucking roster right there okay uh, Russ Meyer, director Russ Meyer, said to him, I like your style. So I think you're in for a treat. I was. It was cool to interview somebody who who I've read about for a very long time, being being a movie nerd here in Winnipeg. So uh, box checked to talk to him. Uh, for all you new people to the show, if, you, if you're if you a fan of us, and you can skip this part, just get right to, right to the nuts and bolts of this. But if you're new to the show and you want to learn more about us, just go to therealdebaters.ca. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's everything. That's how to subscribe to the show. Uh, what we look like, who we are, some extra things that we do, like the blog, uh, the prop shop, the merch stand is there. And if you're so inclined and you want to throw some bucks at us, you can donate to the show as well, too. So all that information is at therealdebaters.ca. The email address to email the show is therealdebaters at gmail.com. And it's at Real Debaters for all of our social media. That's how you uh, you can see all of our shenanigans as well, too. Um, let's see here. Who do we have to thank this week? Here we go. Okay. South of the border, our top 10 for anybody who's new and still listening at this point. Uh, I like to point out the top five places in America and the top five places in Canada. So we still have yet to crack Europe. That's fine. Who fucking cares? It's about your base. <laughs> so uh, the top five south of the border places who've been listening to the most debaters they can is Washington, San Jose, San Francisco, Ashburn and Gig harbor thank you so much thank you to everybody who always listens uh, our hearts go out to you this thing's kind of picking up speed here and that's super cool so and that's only because you guys are giving us like a boost of energy you're charging up the show so uh, to everybody thank you but to you guys you've been spreading the word you've been talking about this crazy thing we do so thanks very much to canada winnipeg our hometown is always showing us the most love followed up by vancouver Picking up steam out there, Vancouver. I don't know who you are. Get at me. Let us know who you are. We'd love to hear from you. Ottawa, again, you're doubling your fucking numbers. So now you've got a you've got a spot at the table. And then Toronto and Calgary pulling up the rear with some numbers that we've never seen before. So um hello. How's it going, TO? How's it going, Cowtown? What's up? <laughs> Anyways, thank you to everybody as always who listens to the show. That's what I'm trying to say. But thank you to you guys for putting in a little extra work. Maybe maybe if you're new and you're in a Timbuktu area, spread the word and we'll you know shut your name out on the show if that's a thing you need. You probably don't. Whatever. You're not even listening anymore. Point is, I got nothing else, so I will cue the reel and you enjoy the show. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Welcome, everyone. Section of the chart. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. 
So welcome to uh, the Real Debaters, Randall. Thank you for saying yes. Um, for anybody who's outside of the province, Randall King is our true north star when it comes to uh, movies and entertainment in Winnipeg. He is an entertainment reporter and has been doing it for well over 20 years. So you're probably going to correct me and say it's longer, and I'm sorry about that. 30 years. 30 years. Jesus. You have seen so much change, and I can't wait to get into that with you. Um, but I do want to give some backstory to who you are as a person. So um, the little bit I could find about you online, you come from an entertainment family. One brother was a musician. The other brother is a playwright. Oh, sorry, your dad was a musician. Right. One was a playwright, and one's a singer-songwriter. So two questions. Did you feel any pressure to follow in line? And two, um, when you fell in line, were you like, hey, I've, I kind of feel like I fit here now? <laughs> Uh, no, I was never, you know, I think I, I, I was, uh, yeah, I was very much kind of steeped in the entertainment business without without knowing it or, you know, without really being aware of it for a long time. Because if your father's a musician, you know, there's always, always going to be a lot of music in the house and there's going to be these strange jazz musicians, you know, showing up in your basement. Um, and so yeah, I was I was always kind of aware of it, but I I didn't you know when you're a kid that that's the environment you grow up in. You don't you're not aware that oh this is the entertainment business. Um, it's just what he did. So yeah, I was uh, I was I was pretty much steeped in that. My my uh, eldest brother Bob was a, a singer songwriter. I, I I tell you millennials that he he's the guy that wrote the song Brother for Sale for the Olsen Twins. Oh yes, I did read about that. So okay, so anybody definitely yeah. uh, very impressed by that. <laughs> <laughs> and now the Olsen sister, the one that didn't have any fame, is now killing it as Wanda Maximoff. So yeah. uh, the one with talent. Let's let's <laughs> say what it is. I love it. Perfect. Uh, yeah, and that, that was the song they sang on the show, right? If I remember correctly, oh, no, they had, they had a, an album. They had a, okay. a, a record album. Okay. And uh, Brother for Sale was on that. And Bob Bob sang that song at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he gave you away? <laughs> Brother for Sale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, then my wife put in a bid and then and, and, uh, <laughs> and I pronounced you man and wife. It wasn't even a wedding. It was just a cattle call. And she showed up and then, all right, let's do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so you've 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 been a, and I guess you don't know any better because your dad's bringing over all these crazy musicians, and you know your brother writes a song for a fairly famous set of twins. So it just seems natural, I guess, right? Yeah. It, well, it it uh, and my brother David, who just recently passed away, uh, uh, was the playwright who lived in Vancouver, and uh, you know he was you, as as one does you you think a lot about your relationship with. Uh, brother who's passed and he was um he was very sort of instrumental in in kind of introducing me to a lot of artists a lot of actors and uh i think I, actually you know what my brother david was the was responsible for the first actual piece of writing that i was paid for awesome he wrote for a show in vancouver called uh what's a nice show like you doing in a place like this it's called that <laughs> it was called that because it was filmed in a strip joint but it was it was a, a comedy show uh, a variety show and um i wrote a joke for it uh, which i just kind of submitted to it because they had a newscast sort of like weekend update okay they had their own sort of newscast within the show 
and I was living in Toronto at the time. And I wrote a joke about uh, Mississauga. Mississauga had a train derailment. The entire city of Mississauga was was basically evacuated because a train with dangerous chemicals was uh, uh, derailed, crashed. They had to evacuate the whole town. I wrote a joke. You got time to hear this, right? Oh, I, got I wrote it. a joke. All this out in the world, man. Within the within the context of the um, newscast. Uh, a joke, the anchor talks about sending a crack team of investigative reporters to see what happened one year after that event. And <laughs> and they determined that uh, of the entire population of Mississauga, only half half the population actually moved back. Which <laughs> uh, is a cheap Mississauga joke, if you will. Okay. But they, the, <laughs> uh, 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 the second part of the joke was uh, they tracked a, a family down and they were still living in the uh, shopping center with the, where they'd been bivouacked after the crash. <laughs> and they, they asked, uh, they asked the, the uh, matriarch of the house, why haven't you moved back to your house? And, and she said, we like it here. It's so close to everything. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was like, yo, but I got, I got paid for that. And then when I realized that I could get paid for writing, I, you know, I, 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 that, that seed was planted. So I really, that, that I attribute a lot to my brother, David. For that's awesome. I mean, that's that it, it, isn't it kind of how, like you just, you, you trip into something and then you realize, Hey, I didn't like, it's not that that didn't take a lot of work, but that was something that you just felt you could do. And then you get paid for it and you're like, Oh, I get paid for something that I can already like I, I don't have to learn to really do it. I, I just have to harness it and get better at it and master the craft. But I've, I've already figured out the, the building block. Yeah, I think I was at that point. Uh, I was probably going to university at that point at York University. Okay. And, you know, at that point, then I needed all the money I could get. But also. Um, uh, uh, I, I was flirting with screenwriting at that time. Okay. I was I was taking film. I was an English major, but I was kind of minoring in film and taking a lot of film courses. So um, yeah, that 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 raised itself as a possibility. But then uh, things happened. I moved back to Winnipeg. I ended up in the Red River College's Quecom uh, course, majoring in journalism. And um, I was kind of inspired that way too, not by anyone in my family, but by critics that I used to enjoy reading. I, I I read a lot of film critics growing up. I read like Pauline Kael, the books by Pauline Kael and uh, uh, Jay Cox. And um, in Toronto, there was uh, uh, John Harkness, who was a kind of a, who actually became a friend of mine later. Uh, so I was, I liked reading critics and, uh, well, critics I admired. And I realized, yeah, you know, I could probably do that. Especially after after learning learning some stuff about film at, at, at York. Yeah, no, I, I I would imagine it's it's I mean, sitting on the sidelines, like I tried to I tried to do the Crecom thing and in my head I was like, I could I could do a podcast and man has this been a learning curve. So but but it but it was planted by going to Red River, sitting down, talking to people about the course and, and kinda getting into it and, and I, I can understand that you know, once it's once it's planted, it's kind of hard to ignore. And then you start reading about said subject and then, you know, you're off to the races. Um, were you 
what what deterred you from screenwriting? Like, did you just kind of get into the like the the long lineup that it that it is and the and the major rejection that you can you know you know. I'm I'm like I'm like the guy who's always going to be writing that novel. Uh, I always thought I was going to write that screenplay, but you know life got in the way. I I uh, needed to make a living. And, you know, once I I got into journalism, I was I was hired by the Winnipeg Sun in, at a, in about 1990, and um, first to do a TV column, and then and then I wrote about film, um, and you know it was. It was a good leave, living. It was it was something that I was happy to do, and and you know uh, my wife and I had a had a couple of kids, and and when you're writing, pretty much five days a week, you know, <laughs> getting home for the weekend and saying, here I'm going to write me a screenplay, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't really um, it doesn't really happen, you know. I have no regrets, but I. I um, that's that's basically what happened. I, I was I was distracted by by journalism. <laughs> that's a good distraction. I think if you could look back and be like, what what made me change my mind? That's a that's a perfect way to kind of switch and turn around. Um, so you've always written entertainment, is that correct? Uh, pretty much. I've written some news stories. Uh, the only thing I couldn't do is really sports. <laughs> I cannot. I've written, you know, I've written all manner of things, but, but I would be hopeless at sports. Uh, I'm, I'm, I do not have a sports gene. I think Harrison Ford once said that, and uh, <laughs> I don't particularly care about the sports. I, yeah. I can watch a sports movie. Sure. But, yeah. but I, I, you know, I'm at a bit of a loss in just watching televised sports. I never got into I grew up my father was a game day sponsor of the Winnipeg Jets, so I just grew up by proxy going to sports. But if you sure. if you asked me if I sports now with my own personality, I, I don't sports either. I understand it. Like I can watch a hockey game and my Apple Watch will go off because my heart's racing so fast. But like <laughs> you know, I can get into it. But I'd rather watch any given Sunday or Blue Chips or you know hoop ah. or something like that where there's there's a story to it as opposed to just the ping pong of, you know, two teams going back and forth trying to destroy each other. Like mm -hmm. there's there's conflict there, but it's not the conflict I think me and you like. Mm -hmm. So apart from being in Winnipeg, I just don't really feel I have skin in the game when I when I'm watching a sports <laughs> thing. It's just you know I don't care who wins. I don't even care if you know Jets win or, or don't win. Sure. No right. I, I'm that's on just, that's just me. That's I'm there. That's two of us, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> so, uh, brother gives you a chance to write a joke that kind of sets the hook, as they say. Um, when, because this is something I suffer with, and I'm sure everybody kind of suffers with, is is the is the fake it till you make it. Are you an imposter? Imposter syndrome kind of thing. So you 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 go to school, take journalism. When did you feel that you were you know, respected amongst your peers? Was there a moment? Was there a piece? Was there a review? Was there a time where you were like, okay, I'm in it and I feel okay being here and I don't feel like an imposter? I think uh, I, I had a, a fairly good time at Red River College. I made, made a lot of friends. And uh, one thing that I did was I became the entertainment editor, editor of the projector which uh, uh, kind of put me in a position of responsibility, but it, it was just also I could write about whatever I wanted, and I knew there would always be space for it. <laughs> in the director. 
So, uh, which I did. I even I even wrote under a pen name, you know, if if, if I was going to write a kind of goofy review. <laughs> uh, and, and also, it wasn't really good to have, you know, Randall King, the byline, you know, appearing three or four times in the in the same paper. So <laughs> it's like who's but uh, uh, shit. Uh, no, no, that it, it was. Uh, uh, and and doing things like that and writing for some street papers, it, it gave me a little uh, confidence. And yeah, you really do need confidence. I was um, reading the other critics of the day, it, you know, it, especially in daily newspapers. The TV critic, I can't remember the name of the TV critic. I ended up kind of replacing it, the Winnipeg Sun. He was he was not a Winnipegger. He was a uh, um, uh, he, he was Canadian, but but they just sort of ran his column. Uh, I thought he was terrible. So that's actually a really good attitude to, to go in, just saying, oh, okay, I, you know, okay, I've, I've never even done a TV column before, but I'm going to show this asshole <laughs> how it's done. So I really think that that attitude is key. I don't, I'm not even saying it was, I get it, you know, deserved or justified, but you really kind of have to have that killer instinct going in just in terms of well i'll show these guys you you, you know you you have to have a, a bit of confidence and, and i think that's uh, probably uh, endemic to the to the biz you, you you don't you don't get in an in a in a major newsroom by you know being a bit of a wallflower you, you really have to have some confidence i would imagine so because you're you're speaking on behalf of something and mm -hmm. you're having to curate the knowledge of said subject and you don't want anybody being like, are you sure? So yeah, I, I, I guess so. It is a, it is a pretty like, and you're standing on your, you're st you have to stand behind your words. And that's like sports reporting. I mean, you, you always want to have integrity and be honest, no matter what sure. across the board in journalism, no matter what medium it is, that's, that's just the default. But you, entertainment is so specific to art where news, city business, politics, you're reporting the facts and mm -hmm. I guess you're reporting the facts in the most honest, direct way. But with entertainment, it's perspective. You can say something. We can both see the same thing. And I won't say the same thing about you. So I've from talking to filmmakers so far, I am very I, I'm not nervous, but I'm just over prepared, I think, because I want to understand the filmmaker's perspective. So as an entertainment reporter and a film critic, you're taking on a bigger responsibility than I would say somebody who's writing a political article because you're now interpreting their art for the masses and then those people are going to take you by your word. And, like I did when I was growing up, I would read you and then be like, if he thinks it's good, I'm fucking going to see it. Like, you know, so <laughs> I, I can only imagine that there's a, there's a, there's confidence and then there's an understanding of film. Did you have that beforehand? Like to, 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 to review film, have you, read a lot about different types of film or do you just have the eye are you the guy with the eye uh i i i, I think i, I did I, I studied film for a while uh, but i've always been a, a film fan and so i uh you know i eventually you you have to have a little confidence you know i have to have a quite a bit of confidence to actually be able to share a review and um yeah, I, I would I would say it was just uh, 
I, I, I didn't have any, uh, I, I, did, I don't really think I, I suffered imposter syndrome, no more than any, <laughs> anybody else. Maybe though, you know, in the 3, 3 a.m. of the night, you know, <laughs> or, uh, the, uh, you might wake up and, and, and have some worries about something you wrote. Believe me, every, every journalist in the world does that. But uh, um, yeah, yeah I, I was, uh, I, I was pretty confident going in, but also, you know, with critics, um, you tend to find your own. You, 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 you know, if if, if I, I, I might have a sort of masochistic. Uh, uh, there must be. I mean, there might be a masochistic appeal in reading a critic that I really don't like, just just to hear a perspective that I'm sure is going to outrage me. But uh, uh, for the most part, you you, you find like-minded. Uh, uh, critics it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a marketplace yeah well i mean it's it's everybody it, that's the beauty of film and that's why we don't shit on film on this show we shit on each other when we argue film we attack each other personally <laughs> it can get a little heated but I, I you've probably seen your fair share of bad films out of anybody i know and i barely know you i can count on the fact that i could bet and say randall's seen the worst the most of the worst probably because it's your job but mm -hmm. There, there's. I have a question, and we'll get to it. But I, we, I guess we could talk about it now. Like the, is there a bad film, or is there just not enough money to make that film better? No, there's bad. There's okay. There's bad films. There's certainly bad films. There's films that are made with uh, uh, exploitative intent. Okay. There, uh, um, there, there are films that are made by uh, talentless people. Uh, and uh, with with no actual redeeming merit, sometimes those can be Hollywood films. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, I have actually had to sit through a few of those. Um, so yeah, no, there there are definitely bad films. It's always a bit of an achievement to get a film made, and and one has to applaud the achievement, but one that doesn't have to applaud the product, especially. If it is, <laughs> okay. I like that. Yeah, because it is. It is. You got to raise the money. You got to find the people. You have to have the shared vision. You have to then go execute it because it's it's all fun and games to be like, hey, let's do this. But then it's like, shit, we got to do this. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's monumentous in itself to make a B movie horror or a really crappy rom com. That mm -hmm. I made a movie, but to make a movie that is reviewed and loved and appreciated by many. Not by all, because you can't do that. But um, mm -hmm. what's what's the process of like pre-COVID? Let's go there because sure. COVID is. So what's what's the process of of a film critic? Like, how does your what do you do for your job? I know you sit down and watch the movie, but were you always going to the theater? Were you getting screener copies sent to you? Like, how how does how do you go? Take me through a review. Well, it it, it varies widely. Uh, I should. I can tell you about the old days when we used to. Yes, please do. Not that long ago, about five years ago, when we used to go on movie movie junkets. When you would go to fly to Los Angeles or New York, and they would screen the movie for you, and then you get roundtable interviews with uh, a bunch of the uh, actors and the director and maybe producer. Um. Uh, so you know that was that was kind of a gift in that you had like two weeks. Or, or more to actually write a review. 
and and hopefully you're not going to be influenced by the fact that you've been flown to Los Angeles and wined and dined and, and got to talk to the, the actors, although the studios used to count on that being being a, uh, a factor that would soften the uh, harshest uh, <laughs> the corner. Uh, view of a, of a particular film. Anyway, um, so so it, it's it's evolved over time. Um, I, I mean, sometimes sometimes you can see a movie and you, I mean, for me, ideally, you have at least a, a night to sleep on it. <laughs> you watch the movie, you, you sort of sleep on it, you get up in the morning, you write the review the next day. That's probably the ideal. Uh, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, because our deadlines are a little wacky in the entertainment department, we preprint some sections. Um, so if I want to get a review in the Friday paper, I have to have it filed by Wednesday. Uh, that used to be an issue when, uh, when we used to pre-COVID have Wednesday evening screenings. I'm sure you've done your share of those. Yes. Wednesday evening, uh, previous screenings, and then you have to, you know, write the review the following morning so that it could get in Friday's paper. But when the deadlines changed, you had to write it for the Saturday paper, which is fine. Uh, it goes online anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. But that said, um, that that was the one I, I really sort of became accustomed to. Frankly, as a as, as a journalist, you you know you always let the deadline uh, uh, sort of inform when you're going to actually <laughs> write the piece because there's a million other things to do. I have to stress though that I was never just a critic. I, I wish I could have been just a critic, but but I was always a, a journalist too. I was always writing stories. Yes. So uh, uh, that that was a uh, a big factor. I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, I, you know, I dream about the life of of, of uh, somebody who was just a film critic who could watch movies, review them, and and be done with it. But I had a lot of other stuff on my plate too. Uh, so I didn't, uh, uh, well, that, any, anyway, the ideal thing was to see a movie, sleep on it, write it the next day. Uh, these days, uh, I might just get time to watch a screener and then fire off a review immediately following watching the screener. Not my favorite, but, um, but it still works. I have a review in today's free press about St. Maud. And uh, uh, that was that was how that I, I watched it in the morning and I wrote the review the same morning. Uh, I really liked it, so I was, uh, uh, it was it was not an issue. It's a bit, a bit more of a torment if you don't really like the film. And the problem with screeners too, I don't know if you find this if you're watching screeners. It, if if it gets uncomfortable, you sort of have the option of pausing it and leaving and going to take a break. Not really how you should see a movie. No, you should just you should just be there for the long haul. But but sometimes it's just too tempting to. I'm gonna go get a coffee right now. And, uh... yeah. yeah, no, I've I, I've I've started. We we have a blog, and I'll do like I'll do a very rudimentary, uh, green thumb version of a review where I'll just like I, I I'll take like the story i'll take the special effects i'll take all that and i'll just give a couple notes on it right because i can't i can't string the eloquentness together 
to explain it. I tried to do it for my Krecom portfolio. Oh my God, I just go back to it. I rem- I used that. I heard the story about, uh, I don't know, maybe you've heard this, that how the uh, the Tim Burton Superman, did you hear about that story? How they almost cast Nick Cage and Tim Burton was mm-hmm. supposed to do- Okay, so that story, um, whenever they were trying, between that time and when they finally reincarnated Superman, uh, one of the production or one of the producers would just always pull out the picture of Nicolas Cage in the Superman outfit. And whenever they were getting a little out into the weeds, he'd be like, you guys tried to make this. Just remember this. <laughs> and that's what I do with that review. I can't. I think it was Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. I tried to do a review on and I should have picked a newer movie because then I wouldn't have ha- I wouldn't have been so married to an idea of a movie. And mm-hmm. regretfully so. But I always look at that. And remind myself, this is what you tried to write. So just remember, don't don't do this. And- <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna try reviews, my advice for you is find a, a movie that you hate and review that. It's much easier to review to write a negative review. It speaks to the human condition, I suppose. But it's easier to write a negative review than it is to write a positive review. Yeah, just, it just is. Uh, uh, you know, if if you're kind of outraged by by the uh, incompetence or a bad performance or, or whatever factor it's, it's good to have uh writing a very positive review it's actually much more difficult because you have to really walk out I, I remember walking oh remember walking out of movie theaters and chatting with the person you were with remember those days <laughs> those are like a like a sunday night in the summer coming out of like a eight o'clock movie and you're just like, man, that was so fucking awesome. And and all you want to do is just talk about it. And I, I, I miss that. And I think that that's gone with this. Like as much as we all love streaming and it is so accessible, you don't have the same like you just you literally get off the couch and go to bed where like you made an effort to go to the theater and, you know, save some bucks if you had to and have an experience like people really don't unless you're a huge movie fan like we are, people don't really consider that it was an event, an endeavor. And right. now movies at home, I look over at Shauna and we'll talk about it, but it's not this, like, I've watched movies that I haven't been able to wait a hot minute for at home. And mm-hmm. I know if I saw it in the theater, I would have been way more uh, happy. And, you know, I would have more of a outcome of how I feel. And I just don't get that anymore. I don't know if that's with you with, have you noticed that as well? Oh, I think so. I think it's something that uh, uh, it's the kind of thing that uh, Marshall McLuhan used to write about in medium, hot medium and a cool medium. And, uh, um, you know, uh, going to a movie, uh, you know, going in a the theater, it's, it's, it's a different experience than just sitting at home. Uh, um, uh, I wouldn't get into the McLuhan-esque kind of uh, uh, are, uh, uh, intricacies of that, but but it, it, it is a totally different experience. It, it it is more of a passive experience when you're watching it at home. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So so this makes my heart my job a little more difficult. My optimum viewing situation, which ha- used to happen all the time, was the morning press screening, and they would they would take a, a cinema at Grant Park or, or Polo Park or wherever. And you would go to the cinema and you would sit with maybe one or two other people and watch the whole movie. Hmm. That was 
that was great. <laughs> that was ideal. You know, unless you were watching a comedy, it really does help to have an audience watching a comedy. You, you sort of feed off that energy, the, the laughing and, and all that. But uh, uh, yeah, oh God, that was, that was so prime. That was so cushy. <laughs> right? It made you feel like you were, like, I'm a big damn deal. I got a whole theater blacked out for me. This is exactly me and my colleagues. <laughs> No, I definitely get it. Okay, so you've you mentioned two things, and I, I I should have a notepad and paper. Like I'm podcasting, I should write this shit down. But um, I'm gonna try to use my brain power for this. So you said that you not just I got a, my pad. Oh, perfect. Okay, awesome. Um, uh, do what else do you write besides film reviews? Because that's where I I I know you outside of that because I read you every day in the free press. But um, what other things? Because I guess, like, would you say if you were in L.A. or New York or Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, you could strictly do it because it is a bigger market. But here you have a toolbox at your disposal that they like, OK, your entertainment. So that also includes TV, film and theater and whatnot. Like is right. What, what other things do you cover? Uh, well, I cover, as you said, I cover theater um, and not just reviewing theater, but what we what we what we make the distinction is uh, a review and a preview. Okay. If you're writing about a movie, I would write uh, uh, like an interview with the director. I think you talked to Sean Linden, Hunter yep. Hunter. I I talked to Sean Linden. I talked to Summer Howell, who's the young actress who plays you know stars in that movie. Yep. And I write two different pieces that are meant to preview uh, the movie before it opens, and then when you know or when it becomes available. Uh, on streaming platforms yeah. and uh you know, there's probably a lot more of that work than than just just a review uh, uh and it's the same with theater i'll i'll um, interview uh well right now winnipeg jewish theater has the uh becoming dr group and i i talked to the director and the, the, the star Marion bernstein of, of that show and uh, i didn't review it because i'd already reviewed it when it when it played live uh but yeah yeah that's um that's what i do i, I had a, news, a a paper in the newspaper her story in the newspaper today about um uh van gogh the um uh, you know the van gogh exhibit that yeah. Was yeah 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 and uh i had to write a, a story which is basically almost really a news story about how you know the people that behind that show would like to reopen it it would be very safe to reopen it because the convention center is just the largest yeah space where you could sort of safely safely see that show without uh coming within 10 feet of anybody else that was with you in the show but because of the venue because it's a a, a considered a um, super safe a, 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 a public space yeah they can't they can't do it there, even though it would be it would be safer than to show it at the art gallery, which they could do. So yeah, yeah, that, that kind of that yeah. kind of story. So uh, I'm writing those kind of stories all the time. It isn't necessarily having to do with film or theater, it, it, although arguably that Van Gogh show is kind of a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 mixed medium, I guess they'd say. No, it, it's it's very cinematic, really. It, it's it's all, all the you know. Uh, you recognize the, the all the uh, uh the pans the tilts the, the uh, uh 
montages. It's it's really kind of a film where the screen is just you're surrounded by the screens. But it's basically a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Out of anybody I know, I'll take your word for it. Um, so we I know like you, you used to these these things that you used to get flown out for um, junkets junkets that you mentioned uh, talk about that because I feel like that's that's the sexy romantic big event stuff on, on the side of movies that people see through the TV and they have a perception of what's that like because you've your 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 article you're not your article but your your profile on free press says you've talked to some people before some some fairly big names oh sure four out of or three out of four bonds specifically which i have to get into with you at some point but so like what's who who's who's a memorable junket for you and why the first junket i ever did this is back in 1990 the movie was completely forgettable (laughs) navy seals (laughs) right that was the first movie i ever junketed that was my first trip to los angeles okay and uh, um, oh. <laughs> it was, it was uh, a, a terrible movie, but Charlie Sheen uh, showed up to the interviews. Oh, I think safe to say pretty drunk. <laughs> and he was dressed dressed kind of like a, a carnival barker. It was, it was it was, and he was really. I I, I know he became kind of somewhat crazier <laughs> later in life, but yeah. at the time, you know, he was very very funny. Um. Uh, fairly articulate and and uh you know he was just sort of having a fun with the whole i didn't really have a sense of what what the junket experience was like he kind of colored it i thought it was always going to be that <laughs> he set the bar too high <laughs> uh yeah uh although that kind of set me up too for uh, an interesting situation because you know the the junket experience is journalistically speaking it's it's kind of sketchy because the studio does sort of invite it used to doesn't do it anymore but they used to invite people from all over the continent to come and see a movie and talk to the stars and and you know it was a way of sort of getting into the critics good graces so um with navy seals I gave it. I, I get when when I had to when it came time to do the review. I gave it like a one star review and just <laughs> hated it. And, and you could be completely honest and and you know kind of hope that. Well, I hope the studio will still invite me, and it turned out they did. Uh, but uh, you know, to them it was just worthwhile to to have the preview stories. The interview with Charlie Sheen. I think I interviewed Michael Keen for that one too, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, you know, they, it's always a bit of a wild card if you, um, whether or not you're going to actually like the movie, but uh, the studios uh, didn't seem to object. And there was such a thing as the, uh, the junket whore. Uh-huh. Those are people that basically went on all the junkets and then just found some nice things to say about the movie, no matter how crappy it was. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, God, there was, hang around. There was a, there was a guy. Well, name him. I think I, I'm not sure he's still with us. Earl Dittman. Not listen to the. Do you, do you do you know the name? He used to be on uh, all the blurbs. Uh, whatever terrible movie, he, he he would find something nice to say about it, and the blurb would end up in the newspaper ad. 
but we kind of found out later that he was Earl Dittman wireless, but there was no wireless. <laughs> there was no like magazine or publication. You couldn't actually find his reviews. Really? He just, he just wrote the blurbs. And uh, yeah, he was an interesting guy. I once, I once saw him coming out of a, a, a breakfast room with a cup full of bacon. <laughs> you know, like a breakfast buffet. Yeah, a cup of, cup of bacon. <laughs> you know what, man? Like it because it's make believe, and it's everybody's perspective. The industry, the people, the movies themselves. You can all you can come up with this this idea. And if if you're like, hey, man, that's the place to be. Like, what's the movie? Um, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People with Simon Pegg mm-hmm. is based on a real journalist from London who got a shot at Vanity Fair mm-hmm. and royally tanked it. And, but he goes from being somebody who's like, I want to write the most cutting articles about stars and celebrity to being obsessed with it. And it just makes me think this movie, like he uses a fake babe, he uses a fake pig and he says it's the pig from babe to get into the Oscar party. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what this guy reminds me of is like, he's just like, yeah, I have a magazine and uh, I will put quotes on your. I think the studios probably knew he, he was. They, they knew what they were getting. And they liked it because it was the one nice thing they could always count they, they, they could always count on a uh, friendly blurb from this guy. And he used to he used to just ask the most sort of ingratiating questions. I couldn't even be in the same room with him. I think he was kind of a nice guy, you know, on his own. But but hearing him talk to like movie stars and, and the, the the worst thing for me as a journalist in the, in these situations is when a, a, a reporter is just ooh, showing oh, their uh, betraying their uh, devotion to to their uh, interview subject. And uh, uh, hold on a second here. Yeah, talk. Take time. Can I just? Yeah. This is this would be a good part. Yeah. Hey Frank, I'm, uh, can I get back to you? Okay, sorry about that. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you later. Bye-bye. There we go. Sorry about that. No, don't be. Where was I? You were talking about uh, betrayal of their craft when they talked to Oh, them. well, no. I, I mean, just being so obviously uh, starstruck. Yes, okay. And, and uh, you know, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. Yeah, you know, ah. God, that, that, uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of a real, real thing to watch. Um, although there probably were times when I, there were definitely times when I was myself starstruck. Okay. All right. Okay. Please. Because your job is to be honest and report nothing but the facts, man. Mm -hmm. And you love what you're reporting on. Like I'm, I'm sure that the guys at the free press who do sports, love sports and the ones who do politics, but, but that's nothing like meeting Brian Pallister is a waste of fucking time. (laughs) Me, <laughs> Charlie Sheen is entertaining. It's it's off screen into real life, and that's why we call ourselves the Real Debaters, where real life meets real life. Because we're starstruck motherfuckers over here, Randall. Like I've I've had I did a thing. I got very lucky, and I got to talk to Kevin Smith from Jay and Silent Bob. Oh yeah, and, and I've, you have so, so you have stuff to talk to him about too as a Winnipegger because yes. he's said two of his movies in Winnipeg. And yeah, right. Barely been here. 
And he's he's shot in the back lot in L.A. and used Winnipeg as the backdrop for Tusk. Like it's hilarious. But um, so I had I had I already was grounded with him being a fan and everything. But I was very nervous going. Am I going to fan out? Because I didn't want to. Because previous to that, I talked to Alan Cross from Ongoing History of New Music from ninety seven five, who like you, I've listened to for a very long time because my my music education came from listening to his radio program and, you know, experimenting with different bands and styles of music. So I got to talk to him, and I asked him, and it sounds like you're going to probably say the same thing. He was like, your job is to report. Your job isn't to fan out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, but the urge to fan out is very strong because you like what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. how do you do that? Like, when you go in, like, how do you... Because when I talked to Kevin, after it was all said and done, I was like, wow, that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. And I thought I would betray myself. That was the biggest thing. I was working for somebody else. I didn't want to betray them. I didn't want to break my promise that I was like, no, don't worry. I won't fucking suck his dick on a Zoom meeting. You know, (laughs) like I really (laughs) was worried that that was going to happen. So what do you do? Like, Do you have a tool that when you go in, do you just blank out? No, you just... (sighs) Well, after you've done it for a while, especially, you just sort of come to realize that no matter how big the, the star, they're just people, and they're yes. just people like you. So you, you know, you want to ask them most pertinent questions. You don't want to. I wouldn't try and offend anybody, although I probably have. <laughs> uh, and I don't. I, I don't want to uh, um, uh, seem combative. But uh, uh, you, you know you. You really just have to just treat them like fellow human beings, and uh, you know that would be very easy to do with Kevin Smith because you know he's not the kind of guy that would consider himself. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. You know that kind of guy. He he's he's not that guy. He he he's pretty. Um, oh, he was just a nice regular guy. You know. Yeah. It was it was so like ideally he's an ideal uh, interview subject that way. Oh, yeah. Like, everybody was like, are you worried? I'm like, no, no, no. He's just going to talk, and I'm going to okay. marshal. That's all I'm doing is I'm just Perfect. a guy with a like crossing guard. I'm just like, this way, that way. You know, yeah. we have to cover this, cover that. But it was it was just in, it, as somebody who has taken a step to try something like this and, and talk about film, like, you can talk about film. We, we, we started talking about film over chicken wings and beer at Smitty's once a week. That's where this whole thing came from was, let's see if we can do it our way in a fun way. It's not derogatory that does celebrate film, but is different because I, I, I was like, I just want to try something different. But as soon as it got to the point where I was like, okay, I need to, I want to start talking to people. That was the one thing. Cause I'm such a fan. The guys make fun of me all the time that movies are my illegit, like movies of the father. I never had <laughs> because <laughs> he had a huge movie collection, but never spent time with me. So like I can quote Dr. Shivago pretty clearly but like i don't know my dad which is really fucked up but, but besides the point so i'm just i come from a fan place as opposed to a professional place like you do so i'm just, I was just wondering like you've talked am i wrong martin scorsese you've talked to them you've talked to mr i've asked martin scorsese questions in press conferences okay so okay so you haven't had no you've been in i've been in the same room okay there used to be, uh, uh, there, there was kind of a de-evolution of the drunken process. You used to be at round tables. You used to do round table interviews. So there'd be four or five other journalists speaking to the talent. Okay. And um, uh, that was fairly intimate. You could get a lot, you could get all your questions in in about a, say, 25 minute to a half hour time period. 
and um, and that would be fine. Uh, uh, eventually, it became more of a press conference situation. Lately, it's it's kind of manifest itself as Zoom meetings where you don't actually where you're muted, <laughs> so <laughs> you don't have you don't actually. Uh, so so yeah, that's definitely a, 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 you you give questions in advance. This was the last chunk of kind of thing I did was uh, you get give questions in advance and you hope that they ask it. Oh wow! The moderator asks a question. That's not the, that's not no. really, not something that uh, I would be really happy to do again. But uh, uh, these days too, it's mostly phone interviews. You know, if, if I can arrange a, a phone interview with a, a particular uh, actor or director that I'm interested in, that, that will certainly happen. Are it's easier to get interviews with directors than actors. Uh, yeah, I've found that to be very true because, and I don't know, like, I, I want, I, I, this show is an open door to anybody, of any walk of life, of any creed, of any, of any love of movies. I don't care who you are. I'd love to talk to you about why you love what you love. Um, but I feel that the makers versus the talent are easier to, to talk to. And I, what is, from somebody who's been doing this for over 30 years, like, have you, is that something you've noticed too? Like, and it's. It's just easier to talk to the person who was making it than the person who was acting in it. Well, it's a it's a director's job to communicate to, oh. to his actors, uh, and uh, you know, some actors, say Robert De Niro, for example, is uh, he's not he's never struck me as being a particularly articulate guy as an interview subject. He'll he'll um, give the shortest possible answer, and. Uh, um, you know, he, he doesn't he doesn't particularly enjoy. I, I can't blame anybody for not enjoying the, the interview process, um, especially when you have to do it. But uh, yeah, so there there is there is a bit of a divide that way. You can always count on a director being able to communicate what he has in mind. Actors sometimes sometimes yes, sometimes no. <laughs> um what have you ever was there was there somebody that you fought for or you were like i gotta be in that room or i need to ask that question like it was do you have did you have a bucket list over the course of the years is there somebody that you still need to talk to that you'd like to or are you content with oh being able to no you know i've been in i've been in the room with a lot of people and and no i'm i'm i'll i'll die happy <laughs> with, you know the people that i have talked to um i've talked to um yeah, give me a list. Give me, give me, just shoot some names off here. You know, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'm of a, I'm older than you, obviously, and I'm of an age where the people that really kind of impressed me were the people that I used to watch when I was a kid. So, you know, it's not as many of those around even as there That's used to right. be. Yeah. But, but I've always found too that those guys are actually the best interviews. I'm talking about people like, um, you know Michael Caine. Michael Caine. You talk uh, to Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't do the Michael Caine impersonation, but I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> um, and what? Oh, Richard Harris. You really? know. Yeah, yeah. Richard Harris did a couple of. He, he did a, an interview for the Harry Potter movies, but he also did one for Unforgiven. And Richard Harris was ideal, your ideal interview subject because he. He seemed to look at it as a performance opportunity. 
so he would he would you know it'd be like being in the pub and he would tell you these funny stories about 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 his career and his life and and so that was fabulous uh uh so you know i'm i'm kind of uh, uh always going to have a um, an abiding affection for those those older performers i once got julie christie ooh uh uh in a one-on-one interview and it was kind of unexpected she was doing inter- interviews for away from her at the toronto film festival you know the sarah Paulman. yep and I, I got it kind of at the last minute. A friend of mine was a publicist, and she, she sort of put me in the room with uh, Julie Christie. And, and, you know, that's one of those times when you are a little bit starstruck, <laughs> or I, I would be. You know, I'm sure there are people that, that you would find yourself in the room just kind of babbling at them because, uh, you know, oh, my God, it's to Beyonce. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even like Beyonce, and I'd lose my shit if Beyonce was in the room. I've 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 sat across the table from Beyonce. A couple really? Of times. Yeah. She, okay. So is she there is. is there like an like is there some sort of aura coming off of her? Like I imagine she this is the power that woman commands. Well, she was she was younger. This was during, I think during the uh, the Austin Powers. Oh, okay. The third oh. Austin Powers movie. So she wasn't. Um wasn't fully Beyonce yet, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, she didn't become Beyonce until a couple years later. But, you know, she, she was very poised and, and just stunningly gorgeous. Yeah. Probably. Um, That's the problem. That's the, she's the kind of beauty where you're like, I don't know my name. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know English anymore. How do we that's, communicate? <laughs> that's, that's probably happened a couple of times times for me i'm glad you're uh, starstruck i'm glad that still or that did happen to you because i i imagine like this is I'll something you're doing but you know eventually it can be it, have you ever felt that it's really one of those taxing jobs or are you still happy as you were from 30 years ago like you're still doing it so it must, it must mean something besides it just being your job yeah no no i i, I recognize that it, it was kind of a, a dream gig you know, I've recognized that for a while, especially if you're a movie fan, just to be in the proximity of of movie people and and, and theater people too. I love theater people. Um, Do you find the difference between actors in theater and actors in feature films? The mediums are different, uh, obviously, but do you? Is there like could you know the actors who we know, like Kenneth Branagh, for example, theater, right? Um, I can't think of another name that's coming off the top of my head, but it, it, if they go from theater to screen, have you, is there something more in a performance that's in the room for a theater than a movie besides the obvious being very visceral? Well, bear in mind that I, you know, I interview mostly local theater artists. So, uh, um, and I see them all, you know, I see them all the time. I see them, you know, in the, in the theater lobbies and I interview them all the time. So, so no, there isn't that, uh, they're they're more they're more kind of oh you know old acquaintances that, <laughs> that I'm I'm pretty comfortable with. Sure. You know when you when you suddenly thrust into the room with a movie star that that's completely different. Uh, a completely different dynamic is is happening there. But hopefully I I think uh, and I think most of the professional journalists I know probably be quite comfortable in that situation because they've done it enough time. 
Yeah, and you build up a rapport, and because of, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, because yeah. you don't want to be the like you don't want to be the guy about town who's like, oh, if he comes, you're screwed, your career is over. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, that said, you don't always want to ask the ingratiating question. You know, you you want to. You're, you have to be a journalist. You occasionally have to be. Uh, you have to ask some tough questions at times. I remember uh, I mentioned Unforgiven before. Yeah. When Unforgiven came out, I don't know if you remember there was. Oh, I do. Um, Morgan Freeman, Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman. One of the one of sure. my favorite cowboy movies of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, and uh, you know the dynamic was oh you're if you're in the room with Clint Eastwood you 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 know you've got to. You know, room of dirty Harry. will will fanboy out. Yeah, but I had to ask him a question about. Um, at least I felt that I had to ask him a question because people were talking about boycotting that movie because at the same time it was released, Ice T released an album called Cop Killer that was kind of controversial. It was distributed by Warner Records, so people were going to boycott Warner. And that meant boycotting Clint Eastwood, you Biden. know, that's weird. A notorious Republican, uh, um, screams at chair uh, because of this record. And uh, you know, I so I, I asked him about that, and it it went fine. I, you know, he, he didn't really bring out particularly. You know, it didn't really concern him. He, he didn't think that the, the boycott was any kind of big deal. But I, I felt that the question had to be asked, and. Uh, it's it's that kind of question is kind of rare in the junket. It would be kind of rare because it would be like you know this is this is news. It's it's controversial, but but a lot of journalists or entertainment journalists kind of retreat to a safe zone where they're just talking about talking about the film and and you know letting the artists sell the film instead of uh, asking or answering you know potentially tougher questions yeah so yeah there's, there's i kind of tried to, i tried to be a journalist <laughs> in those situations yeah no i i would imagine so like i i've just seen it happen i've i've never talked to somebody and like i don't want like if, if it ever gets to the point where i'm sitting in front of somebody i don't ever want to ask those questions i want to talk to you about your craft i want to talk to you about what you do i want to talk about you about your job like all the stuff that people get offended by these days it doesn't matter that's, that's mm-hmm. just noise like let's let's talk about brass taxes and and what you did and why i like it and let's stay in that ballpark um with mm-hmm. with the ability to ask the tough questions um i kind of want to transition into something so 30 years in an industry you have seen you have seen um mediums change you have seen 3d come and go and die a miserable death you've seen the boom of the imax you've watched the budgets change you've seen film the business as much as film the entertainment industry change over the years mm-hmm. everybody's heard of you know shady hollywood accounting for example and, mm-hmm. and all the the cd underground of any industry there is one um the one thing i want to find out from you is you guys used to be the only ones. Put it in print. That's it. Right. No website. No mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes. No fresh score. No spoilers. No nothing. It was go see it, experience it for yourself, and that's it. Mm-hmm. We and you now watched an industry take over, and you've got 
um, oh, what's the term I'm looking for where there's like a, embargoes. Embargoes are set up with journalists sure. and, and critics. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm 38, but it's my lung, lungs of a 70 year old man. Uh, sorry if you're 70. I don't mean I'm not. Okay, all right. You you don't look at anybody. Get up there. Get up there. <laughs> you have a gray beard that I am incredibly jealous of. Uh, you don't hear me coughing. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so what like what's what's it like for you to watch? And I mean, you 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 don't strike me as the kind of guy who was like, that was my fucking job. Why are you taking it? But what is it like to watch an industry? experience that and then have to play like do you tweet it like i mean i don't follow you on twitter but like do you do you are you part of that or are you just strictly print and you don't like spoilers like what's what's your take on it in 2020 i don't i don't do i never do spoilers no as a as a, as a critic no uh my my rule for that would be uh try not to give away anything that happens after the first act okay um uh in theater would be same thing to not just give it anyway any 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 significant plot points that happen after the first act uh as far as how the industry's changed uh you know yes my uh, my role has been somewhat diminished you, you know you used to find you know you were you were kind of the, the king of the world when you when you would go you know and and uh, sort of represent your city and go to a movie junket and and and, you know that's kind of how I looked at it. I was I was representing all of Winnipeg. Why should Winnipegers go see this movie? Yeah. And um, which is I you know no, but, which is why I, I actually kind of wanted to uh, watch or, or get an interview with Kevin Smith for Tusk and and I was shot down. Uh, why didn't you shoot uh, in Winnipeg, you asshole? It would have been cheaper. Right? Fuck yeah. Um, you, Kevin. But, uh, which I did ask him, but it was I asked him at the. Uh, um, at the Toronto Film Festival, after a midnight screening of Tusk, uh, you know, I, I sort of uh, approached him because he, after after the screenings at TIFF, uh, the director comes out. Sometimes the actors come out, and and, and we'll do a little Q and A with the audience. So I got a chance to sort of off the cuff um, ask ask him about a, that. Hang on, he did a little Q and A with you. I don't think he does anything little. Everything's twelve minutes long when he answers the question. Uh, well, no, no, this was he. he I, I got him before he was he was uh, leaving the uh, leaving the theater. That was that was the best I could do. But but I was a good reporter, and I actually went and made sure I got, I got something I could I could use. I got a quote from. Him. I... Anyway, uh, but I digress. So you're the king of the world, but <laughs> you uh, and and then that's that's totally gone. Diminished. It, it, you know, the internet has. If if you want entertainment content, if you want to see an interview with whomever, uh, you, you just look it up on on YouTube or or you just look it up online. Um. So yeah, that's that's kind of regrettable, but I I understand that I'm I'm not uh, kind of bitter about it, and you know I I, I still find the studios. There was a time. This was just when I was coming in. Uh, actually, it was ending about the time I was coming in. There was a time when every movie studio had an office in Winnipeg, where where uh, it was a publicity office, and and those were the people that would kind of set you up with with screenings and uh, your press kits and photographs really? and, and what have you. 
Yeah, yeah, that, it, was, it was in the 80s. That died out in the 80s. Uh, and then everything became centralized in Toronto, of course, where, where um, all the studios got headquartered in Toronto, but, but they, they still sort of represented the interests of Canadian journalists. And uh, um, that sort of went by the wayside too. I, I mean, there, there's still, there are still uh, publicity offices in Toronto, but they don't particularly care about uh, no. the same news outlets they used to care about. I mean, they used to really care about them, <laughs> but um, not not so much anymore because you know there's wire services. Um, uh, eventually, uh, I, I kind of got squeezed out of the film job at the Winnipeg Sun in the late '90s, around I guess it was around 2000, 2001, uh, because you know they were getting all their film. Uh, uh, writing, reporting from uh, uh, Toronto journalists. So, and the Winnipeg Sun ones, they uh, were fine with that. So, uh, um, you know, I think they, they kind of, that, that was, I was quite bitter about it at the time, but it was, it was an inevitability that, that uh, they're trying to do this as cheaply as possible. And, and you know, if they can invite one or two reporters from a Toronto paper to do interviews and things like that. And that's just the way it was going to roll. No, totally. And, and like with, with the, like, I don't like spoilers either. I'm at the point where I don't even like watching trailers sometimes because I just know oh, sure. how much, like, unless it's Kevin Feige. It's shocking what they give away. Oh God. Like I, I've, I'm, I've, I can remember trailers being a minute and that was the standard and now they're just shy of three and there's the spoiler trailer and then there's the actual trailer and then there's the extended trailer and then there's the final trailer. And we all know that this is this is basic marketing 101 to like whet your appetite and, you know, like get you hooked. Right? Here's your crack. Come back in in two months unless it's an Avengers trailer or anything Avengers related, because Feige's just like, I love misdirection and I love making people think that this whole trailer is the movie but it's like the first 20 minutes of the first act just out of seat out of sequence which is so smart but um do you like as a as a critic obviously you don't give away spoilers but do you like spoilers like do you do you like something yeah uh, it's ideally uh, it's only happened a few times in my career ideally so i i like going into a movie not knowing anything about it this is why I used to love going to the Toronto Film Festival because you could actually do that. You could go into a movie, not know a damn thing about it, and just, just but you know, you, maybe it had a director that you enjoyed or, or, or an actor or whatever, and you go into it and that, you know, man, I really, I really like that. Of course, that's a bit of a crapshoot because you don't know if the movie that you're going to see is ever going to end up on the screens in Winnipeg. Yeah, for, it's got to be bought and it's, yeah, it's got to get distributed. It, distributed. Yeah. 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 But uh, as somebody who loves films, that's kind of an ideal situation is to go into it complete tabula rasa. Yeah, no, I, and before I was like, I must know everything. Cause I have, I have a bad habit of like, if I don't know, I look like an idiot, but really you can't know everything. And, and I've found way more enjoyment not knowing or like watching it once and then and then just you know being oh yeah i remember seeing that once and that's it 
And then I'll go online and be like, if I'm confused, I'll look at like debunking videos or Easter egg videos and kind of get the whole picture, which I found way more fun now because I'm like, oh, I get it. As opposed to, oh, there it is. And you're waiting for it, right? Like you're, you don't get the same surprise and the same joy out of, out of knowing the blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever walked out of a theater or do you, because as a critic, to be able to critique something, you need to see it in its entirety? Oh yeah, like, and you really do. You you and and there have been, I I have seen critics walk out of movies and then do <laughs> reviews of them, uh, which I, I don't I would never do. I mean, I, if I walked out of a movie, I, I think I have been tempted to walk out of a movie a few times. I can't honestly recall ever doing it. <laughs> um, but uh. uh yeah, you. I, I mean, but that's the choice. You you either watch the whole thing or or you don't review it. And uh, some critics aren't aren't uh, necessarily observant of that particular rule. Well, yeah, because then you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And you know what? There could be a big twist. Yeah, but you know, that's that's the thing about Rotten Tomatoes. You go to Rotten Tomatoes, you you can you could actually construct a review from other reviews. Oh, that's dangerous. Because, yeah. yeah, that, that but I think I, I, I'm pretty sure people have done it. Oh, yeah. I'm I mean, I'm constantly like I I don't want to use it if I you, you quote your sources, essentially, in short. Right. And that's just plagiarism at the end of the day, even if it is on something just as simple as a review that in that's in, that in, uh, that impresses somebody or doesn't it leaves an impression yeah. on them either way. And now it's like, well, you just made that shit up. You didn't even yeah. see the see the movie and like things like hunter hunter that you bring up the whole movie lies on the third act at the very end like there's sure. so if you don't get that and you walk out because you're like man this is just some weird canadian thriller that is really not doing it for me man you it, the the journey in that is all about the the final scene which i don't want to sure. even though we did i mean you about, you know before that point you generally have a sense of whether or not it's going to be worth it to stick it out yeah, you do. Like if you're if you're any if you if you watch a lot of movies nowadays, I mean, you can even see it sometimes where I'm like, is this a Transformers movie or a superhero movie? Because they are traced pretty accurately. Um, what are some of your favorite films, man? What do you like? What is what is Randall like? Do you like superhero movies? Do you like dramas, bios, comedies, or do you love? I think a- the secret of my success is that. You know, uh, I don't love everything, but I like anything regardless of genre. Okay. I like, I, uh, I, I watch and appreciate and love foreign films, foreign language films. I have no problem with subtitles. I'm a lot of, you'd be surprised how many people do. Uh, uh, I like genre movies. I like, uh, I even like superhero movies because, you know, I'm, I'm a product of, of, of a time when, when you know, uh, superheroes were kind of a big thing. I used to read comic books when I was a kid and, and well into my uh, adulthood. So uh, I like it all. I think I appreciate, I, I can appreciate just about any kind of movie. Um, so I don't, uh, and that includes horror movies. And I, I, I think, <laughs> but you were asking about, um, uh, you, what you were asking about critics who shit on movies. Yeah. And uh, I don't, Generally, I mean, I, I will, you know, uh, I, uh, it's not that I won't write a bad review or a negative review. I will certainly do that. 
but I, I don't have a prejudice about genre, whether it's horror or superhero or whatever. You know, I, I want to go into it um, with an open mind. And I think for the most part, I do. Um, uh, and I, th I find, though, that I've had to kind of defend uh, uh, horror films because I don't think a, a lot of critics always give it a fair shake. You know, they, uh, we've all seen those really sort of terrible, exploitative horror films. And, and um, you know, I feel a lot of critics can't get past that. Uh, you know, they, they tend to tar them all with the same brush. And, and I don't, I, I, will, I will always give, I think, fair consideration to a horror film. And I think I, I, I will, you know, if there's stuff in there that's worthy of appreciation, I will certainly appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, one of our guys, Jimmy, is a huge horror fan. And I, I had the same misconceptions as some of these critics you're talking about. And, and I've turned a, turned a fresh eye to horror and the work that goes into it, I guess after having talked to Doug Morrow, the Winnipeg makeup artist, and knowing... He's great. He's such... <laughs> everybody in Winnipeg film is this shit. They, and that's only because they say yes to talk to me. No, they're awesome. They're so, they're so much, yeah, yeah. There's so much talented in this province, and, and that's kind of where I'm getting where I want to end with you here. But um, I didn't really have a big respect for it until, A, I was at his studio for the second interview he did, and he did makeup on Jimmy. And watching something that's just like very basic and then all of a sudden i'm like man you look like your face is unzippered and it's bleeding everywhere created a whole new appreciation for the genre and i feel that it's like it's like hip-hop at the grammys you know it just doesn't get its due horror doesn't get its due at award shows and sure. these are both mediums and genres that have a fuck ton of talent in them if you if you can just get that they're not rooted in mainstream and I also think that horror is like an easy way to get, I shouldn't say easy because no movie is easy to make, but like a B-movie horror has such a wide variety of audience members. Sure. It is, it, it is a good entry point for a lot of filmmakers to go into horror uh, because you can be, it can be cheap and you don't need movie stars. If you no. can make an effective horror film, you can get away without some of that stuff. Um, the rule of filmmaking is uh, you can have a cheap good or fa and fast pick two right <laughs> and and a, a lot of horror movies are cheap and fast let's face it but not good but you could do you could do it you could do it cheap and slow and good in which, well, is, in which is which is some of the better filmmakers you know they they chosen that route uh anyway uh, yeah, yeah, with horror in particular, um, well, gosh, you know, uh, St. Maud, which is, just came available yesterday online, and, yep. and uh, uh, did you see Midsummer? I did see Midsummer uh, last year, I finally got to it. Man, slow burn, and then mm -hmm. literally everybody off the Terrific. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and uh, Hereditary, Hereditary, which was yes. the Ari Aster movie before that. Yeah, really yeah. good. So I like to, uh, I like to think that champion films like that because there's a lot of prejudice against them definitely and okay so then all right so you you've been you've been to tiff which is kind of i mean it i is, love tiff i've and that's what everybody i hear people who've either been as audience members people who have been as judges people who've been as critics and, and entertainment journalists tiff is like mecca 
for the film festivals, I think. I mean, Sundance is pretty big, but TIFF is its own thing. And I've never been, so, but... Oh, I recommend it. it, it, it now that it's... All, I mean, it's probably going to be online again this... You think it would be online again this year? I hope not. I yeah. think that... I, I, I suspect... I suspect it'll have a lot more of a live component because I expect that's in uh, uh, September. I expect most people will be vaccinated by then. I hope. Yeah, that's the. So thing. I think there'll be more of a live component. I, I think it'll happen again. Uh, fingers crossed. Is do you think with the award show because you review film without you review film on a, on a star basis? But the, the not by choice. Not by choice. <laughs> that's that's this is what you have. Um, but with award shows, like, are they dying? Do they need some sort of? God, I kind of. I hope so. Yeah. I've got no. I I find them very uncomfortable to watch. You yeah, know, very dog it, and pony. It, yeah, it's. Um, and I've got you know, and and some of the awards themselves are. are kind of suspect because so many times it, it's been uh, uh, the, the awards themselves or the nominations are, are a result of uh, public relations campaigning more than real merit. So, you know, over the years, I've really lost my patience with, with awards shows. Uh, I appreciate humor. I appreciate, I appreciate a lot of the fun aspects of it. But I find more often than not, I'm, I'm more mortified than entertained by the spectacle of an awards show. I got, oh. I, I kind of hope, I kind of hope they go the way of the dodo. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if they created more of a festival aspect and took away from like, OK, an award show, an award is an award is an award, which is the awkward part, because you're going, this is the best of the best, but they're all good in their own way. And you've got an academy that is incredibly narrow-minded and it doesn't really change hands that much and it's almost like you're grandfathered into it now because i'm an industry insider you're an industry insider it's like i look at it as being a sommelier it's people who've gone through the bullshit who then feel that they can then allow or disallow people into the industry and then it's just like begets like begets like and then you have nobody who really has any output or input from an outside perspective like wouldn't it be great if you and me could be academy members and you could <laughs> not just but, well you know, maybe yes and i would really trust myself as an academy member because these days i, I just can't i can't see all the movies I, I got other things to do i'm a drama critic damn it so I, i've got to uh, i've got to do that <laughs> um no I, I i don't i would never even have any particular kind of aspirations for that uh the, the whole process is, you know, I'm kind of with, uh, I think it was George C. Scott who boycotted. Now, George C. Scott, mind you, was an asshole. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. he said, he said it was, he called it was a big uh, meat parade at the Academy Awards. Sure. That's why he refused uh, his Oscar for, or he didn't show up for his Oscar for Patton. Patton, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've actually kind of come around to that, <laughs> to that perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I enjoy seeing movie stars as, as much as anybody, but but yeah, the, the awards it, it's it's um it's just kind of an invention. It's just a it's a hype machine. Yeah, I, I I've gotten I, I don't care about them. It's it's I don't, I, I don't think I, I haven't watched one 
years. The the payoff of being able to put the Oscar winner or nominated for on your poster, it's almost like all of the work that goes into the Academy Awards is just for future endeavors from said studios, producers, actors, directors. Because you can then go, um, like you can say, blank director nominated for Academy Award, and someone's going to be like, well, that's better than not. And that's how people judge movies, which... I got to. But do they? Do they? Do you yeah. really need to see that little Oscar on your poster anymore? I don't. I don't, it, yeah. nothing I don't think so. Yeah, I'm more. I want the rogue stuff that actors are doing. I want the you know one for commerce, one for art rule. I want the art stuff more. Sure. And it's it's just where like like not that um I don't know what's a good example. Not that Bradley Cooper's A Star Is Born is a good example, but. I like watching stuff that Bradley like. I'm glad that he went and did his own thing instead of watching a typical Bradley Cooper. That's the uh, Silver Linings Playbook would be something mm-hmm. more than watching him as Rocket in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's their. I, I'd actually give the I'd give the edge to Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Silver Linings Playbook, okay. but I thought uh, Stars Born was better than better than I thought it was. Really? Yeah. And it was weird to be seen as an Oscar nomination too i think it was one of those like well this is all we got so we should probably work with what we have yeah yeah no i i i get that i preferred the judy judy garland thing but i think that that might be uh did you ever see the judy garland stars born no i've only seen the barbara streisand chris christopherson version i didn't see the original right what the that's not even the original the original one is uh it's like potted colbert going before before judy garland um but the judy garland to me is the best um but again that might be a function of my age and i saw it in film film uh uh class oh okay all right so uh so so i i guess when you're seeing and under those particular auspices you you you're you're primed to sort of feel the art of it more i can't imagine uh bradley cooper's stars born being shown in a film class but but there really is uh, I'd suggest there really is some merit in that in that film. That's kind of unexpected. It was a great take on. I mean, to be nominated alone for a remake. I mean, you didn't do anything original, so that's impressive because you really mm-hmm. didn't catch. And for a guy who went to film school to be a director, but then just was like, "Well, I got to get in front of the camera to get behind the camera." Mm-hmm. He was actually he's he's on an episode of Inside the Actor's Studio asking. I think Pacino a question and he's just like sweating and awkward and he's like as a director no I'm being a director what would you say? and he, I was just like oh you always wanted to direct that's interesting you pretty faced man you um with the do you think it's like the Yankees versus the Oakland A's in the story of Moneyball where the Yankees have money so if you have the money you can just buy the success of a movie like the billion dollar goal now just seems so outrageous to me that that's what defines a successful movie to all those who have money involved. Like the business is showing through a little too much, I think. And I'm wondering with what has happened with COVID in the theaters and everything, do you think that's re- going cal- like to cal- recalibrate the system that it is to be like, well, we the, holding on the Black Widow and James Bond is like, guys, we know you're just trying to make money now. Like, it, mm-hmm. just let it go or sell it mm-hmm. to somebody who's willing to put it out there. Like, 
we're going to go no matter what you do, but mm -hmm. to hide behind this, we can't let it go until we know it's primed to make money. That's just disgusting, Disney and Sony. So what do you think about that? Uh, well, it's kind of a uh, kind of a broad question. Personally, I, I have no problem with that. I'm always kind of willing to give the benefit of the doubt to a Bond movie sometimes. The Casino Royale was a terrific movie. I, I quite liked uh, uh, Skyfall. Yeah, Skyfall. Well, Skyfall pl played with history of Bond, right? You had some backstory. You just didn't yeah, have an yeah, yeah. alcoholic spy. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I don't, uh, um, well, you know, it, it, that's nothing new, though. I mean, Hollywood has always been like that. There have been the upstarts and there have been, you know, the, the, uh, the films that come out of the studio factory, you know, I, I don't, I don't see that as a, a change to the way Hollywood has really operated. Except right now, it's probably more difficult to get a on superhero big budget movie made. Uh, but I mean, it was always kind of difficult to get to get uh, to get those sort of independent. Yeah, like the market dependent minded films. It just keeps going up. But the thing that, that comes to mind is the the idea that Dallas Buyers Club had a two hundred dollar makeup budget and it won an Oscar for best makeup. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, well and, and, and then you look at the special effects that go into making Drax in Gamora in Guardians of the Galaxy and how there's such a huge difference between the two. So is the billion dollar mark getting in the way of independent film now more than it ever has been because that's really like, independent film is is like in the 80s and 90s the mavericks you know your your finchers your your lucas your spielberg these guys were allowed to create and play in independent markets and be left alone to make shit that has popped and you know been loved for years if you stop that now you're not gonna. You're, all you're gonna have is billion dollar game changers, and after a while, that's just boring. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't see it as a, as a substantially different situation. I, I, you know, again, if you're talking about a sort of larger budget film that isn't isn't a superhero film, it might be a little bit more difficult. But it's it's always it's really always kind of been that way. Okay. Uh, the big studio blockbusters. Will, you know the studios will always produce these big money blockbusters and and but the these always independent films always find a way look at the past year really and during during covid when a lot of the studio product was held back there's still been a lot of you know it's actually been a very good time for the independent wow. film because um <laughs> you know there's very little studio competition so it's it's uh I think that dynamic is is, is kind of uh, more apparent. It should be more apparent now than than, than ever because I don't know. I've, I've seen a, a few good movies in the past few weeks. Uh, um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, terrific movie. It is a okay. yeah, terrific movie. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and actually, Judas and the Black Messiah is something closer to. It's a studio film. It's a Warner Brothers. Uh, film and, and there's some real budget there so they're, they're still they're still getting out there i i think uh, uh there have always been those those 
um, movies that sort of get more of the attention, but the, the, the smaller, more artistic film, it's, it's not going anywhere. Good. Because that's, that's where, that's where you cut your teeth. That's where it's mm-hmm, exactly without that. Yeah. It's like, all right, good. It's just watching. Same model as a first film for Rose Glass. And you, you would never, you would never know that was that if you watch that film, you'd never know it was a first. That's what, that's what my friends have said about One Night in Miami with Regina King. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. The first feature di- directorial debut and you're killing it. Like, what, what else can you make that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you had the chops for. So, two things before I let you go um, your opinion on the industry. And when are we, do you have, do you have any thoughts on when this is all going to kind of come back? You've been around for 30 years. You've seen the ups and downs. You well, think, nobody's, nobody's gone oh, through what? a pandemic like this. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, but not, not since, uh, let's see, I think my mother was born during the, the first pandemic of 1918. No, she wasn't even born. Um, no, it's, it's, um, no, I think, I, I think it'll come back. I think movies. Uh, uh, the movie theater experience will come come back. I think people are really kind of craving it. I know I am. I, w- I would I really like to go go to a movie in a theater again and, and feel safe doing it. Um, although I'll never go to a movie theater with a cold ever again. No, no, and <laughs> that's fine. That's being a good citizen. I think we've exactly. all exactly, isn't it? No, I think it's going to come back. I think it's going to come back. Okay. Good. I'm glad because I'm I'm not worried. I mean, with Wall Street bets and AMC stock going through the roof in the last two weeks because of all that shady Wall Street crap that people are playing against the big bankers. I mean, great that they've got an influx of money, but they didn't sell a bag of popcorn or a movie ticket. So we know that's not really true. Uh, lastly, three out of four James Bonds. You've had the pleasure of either asking a question to or sitting in down in front of which ones are they? And uh, which one's your favorite? Okay, let's see. Uh, well, Sean Connery, and it was it was for a movie. I can't even remember the movie. It was actually a, a silly kind of independent film, and I can't remember the title of it. But he was just kind of a part of an ensemble, which I think was kind of interesting for him to yeah. do. That was one of the times when I was really kind of awestruck to be in the same room as Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery. Uh, I think I did a phone interview once with Roger Moore. Uh, I definitely uh, was in a um, in the room with uh, Pierce Brosnan, both Pierce Brosnan and uh, uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, the handoff. A big pardon. Is that for the handoff from like what was the last one that brought was was that Tomorrow Never Dies to Casino Royale? Kind of when they were in the same because that like whenever they trade uh, old guard, new guard. There's yeah, your- well, it was. Uh, I guess I did the junket for Goldeneye, and I did the, the one for the last Pierce Brosnan movie, which was the kind of terrible one with uh, Christmas Jones. Oh, the one with what? With Christmas Jones, the one with. Uh, there's. Oh no 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 no! It was the Madonna was in it. Uh, Halle Berry was in it. Oh yeah 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 yeah! It was tomorrow night. Die another day. Die another day. That's it. Yeah. And. Uh, so I guess I did two Pierce Brosnan movies, and then I did, uh, uh, yeah, I did Casino Royale after, and talked to Daniel Craig, and the, and Woody Allen too. Oh, from the original Casino Royale. 
Yes, yes. <laughs> the the kooky, kooky, kooky Casino Royale. Oh, boy. You know, I loved that movie when I was a kid, and then you see it in as an adult, and you're like, oh, my God, this is just terrible. Piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, totally. So is Sean Connery your favorite Bond? Because that will depict whether or not I invite you back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, of course he's the best Bond. He is more. He's, I mean, the the guy. I was, uh, I, was a little, I was a little sad when he died, and I actually made a point of watching From Russia with Love, which I think is kind of the unsung Bond. Yes, everybody in my group agrees. Uh, from Russia with Love is the is the piece de resistance. Um, all right, Randall, thank you so much for spending this time with me, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Real Debaters. Uh, just go to therealdebaters.ca. Um, I'm going to make it easy on you. Uh, if you want to follow us, if you want to talk to us, if you want to look at us, if you want to read about us, all things are at therealdebaters.ca. Um, I have been Michael Petro. My guest has been entertainment journalist, movie fan, Randall King. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Uh, watch all the movies, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. Bye.